I don't see anything that I do have anything to do with what people think selling is. Nothing. Or client creation or anything like that. It just seems to me like some conversations and when people want more conversations, then we'll talk about ways of making that work. There's nothing more to it than that. Welcome to the Coaching Life Podcast, where we peel back the bullcrap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Sometimes I pinch myself creating this podcast. I get to hang out and chat for an hour or so with some really amazing people, often coaches I've been following for a while, who've inspired me, who I admire, and uh, who I've heard some pretty good, amazing things about. I get to talk with them one-on-one -on -one in our own little safe space to see what's life, what life is really like for them. I mean, it, it can often look amazing. There might be lots of transatlantic flights and check-ins from restaurants in Asia or pictures with other super inspiring coaches and transformative teachers all over the world. But what is it really like to live that coaching life? And how does such a life get created? Because, um, I'm going to have a guess. It, it's uh, There's probably some work involved. There's probably some service involved. There's probably some learning and there's probably some bumps involved. So let's find out from today's guest. A big warm welcome to Wynne Morgan. Hello. 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 So happy to have you on here. Like I said, um, I was saying just before we started recording, I, I'd, I'd noticed you and seen you around on Facebook in one of uh, Michael Neal's earlier three principles programs um, well heard you in his uh coaching from the inside out audio that he released which i think yeah we'd, we'd, we'd said it was 2012 and then uh, some online facebook groups since then you know so i'm curious because i know you've been in this this game of uh coaching transformation for quite some time certainly before 2012 right is that is that right so yeah. could you could you could you share with us really what got you interested what got you into this profession you know up, up to perhaps that point of coming across the the principles i guess the shortened answer would be i was tickled by people and their development and their waking up way back and i would say the early 90s in my uh, first few jobs after university and i remember observing someone delivering a training course it must have been about 1992, 93 possibly. And I thought, that looks like fun. <laughs> but it was a very kind of frivolous thought. And then I was a few years later working for uh, PepsiCo, the, the Walker's Frito-Lay part of PepsiCo in, here in the UK uh, in 95, 96, up to 1999. And in that time, I went on more training courses and... I had a more of an inkling that, oh, that job looks like fun when I, this guy was doing the training. And, it, and in that time as well, there was some one-to-one -one time. And in the one-to-one -one time, that's when I really felt as if I was developing and I was struck by well, the presence of the person I was talking with, the person coaching me, to the extent where um, I was offered a job then in 1999 to join another consumer goods company, another packaged goods company, as a senior training manager. And a part of that remit, as well as training the, or delivering uh, training and coaching internally for, uh, for that organization, I would also be leading the team of other trainers. And I actually wrote, I think, a coaching workshop for the other managers before I really understood what coaching was. Mm. I just knew that it looked like training one-to-one -one as opposed to anything more <laughs> transformational or anything like that. But, but I just loved doing it, and I, I got a lot from it. And, and then after two years of doing that, I, was, uh, I thought, right, I really want to do this for a career and became a training consultant. But in that time as well, I was the only guy to really be in that team who was very keen on the one-to-one -one work. So then in 2001... Uh, which is you know coming up to 
18 years ago, um, it became my job, it became my career in that time. And then 12 years ago this month, as the time of recording, is when I went on my own, and it's been, um, it's been wonderful. Hmm. How, how did that happen, like going on your own, taking, taking that step from employment? And what was it in you that had you want to do that? What, what did you, what, what, what was it that had you want to perhaps break away from the employment to do? <laughs> well, was it the same thing? Did you have the same thing in mind? I want to do more of this on my own. What was it that had you move, make that move? Well, I remember people asking me a very specific question about this and at the same time thinking, oh, I bet that was brave. How courageous of you. <laughs> Well, nothing like that actually was going on. It didn't seem like that at all. It just felt like I was spending probably four to five weeks on my own personal development at that time. And that was all my holiday allowance. So I figured, well, this isn't working. I'm spending all of my holiday on me. So it was then an opportunity to then go freelance. Um, and in that transition that, that happened then, uh, 12 years ago, well, coming up to 12 years ago, it was uh, a very natural to me, oh, this is what's next. Mm. It was as natural as to me, oh, I'll brush my teeth now because I'm going out. Right? <laughs> it, w it wasn't such a big thing. It just felt the next, the next natural step to do. Yeah, beautiful. Like sometimes we just know even when there isn't much thought involved. Yeah. So... Um, at what point did you come across the three principles? It was again by luck. Um, and I mean a huge slice of good luck. It feels like um, December's been quite a p pivotal month for me in my life because I went on my own in the December of 12 years ago. And then in the December of eight years ago, um, I'd met Michael Neal via NLP training in the past um, back in the but 2005, 2006, 2007 around that time and I followed his career and I'd spent two weeks, well I was planning a two week holiday in, in California a week in San Francisco and a week in Los Angeles and I really wanted to spend time with Michael because I connected more with Michael Neal than I did the two people I really went to see in the training were far more well known but it was Michael that really I connected with in the way he was speaking so I followed his career and then in December of 2010 um, I spent half a day at his home in LA and it was horrible <laughs> it was horrible I thought at that time in that afternoon I was there for what three and a half hours I thought it was the biggest waste of money I'd ever done <laughs> I was feeling a bit crabby in the morning. I remember it being a bit headachy, and I was really kind of tied up in my head a lot about it. And a big old list went to his house. He comes, you know, answers the door, very relaxed, really informal. And I was so, I need to get fixed on this. I need to get fixed on that. And well, and of course, none of that made any sense to him then. But I didn't know that he was talking about something different. Mm. And. It was a very uncomfortable afternoon for me, yet I heard something. Because I must have heard something, because when I left after this horrific afternoon, three, three and a half hours later, I said, listen, if you do that super coach thing again in 13 months' time, which would have been in January 2012, I'll be there. Now, I knew I couldn't do the one that was starting a month later, because that would have been uh, January 2011, and this was already the middle of December. 2010. But I did say, if you do this super coach thing again in 2012, I'll be there, which is a curious thing for someone to say when they thought that they wasted <laughs> a lot of money and had a horrible afternoon. And that kind of tickled me again as I was driving back from his house back to where I was staying. And well, lo and behold, in the August of the following year, my business really had boomed. And I paid up in the August for all the flights, um, the entire program which was then a, a, a one weekend a month for six months program in 2012. But I was all in because mm. there was something in what he said that certainly must have resonated, must have got through how busy I was in my head. And I love the fact that 
I can see that there was something knowing even how busy I was and how tied I was in my head that I thought I needed fixing. I thought I needed some stuff on the outside when, wait a minute, maybe he's on to something and I'm not. Maybe there's some truth in this. I mean, it's really intriguing. It's beautiful as well. I'm sure I know that you and I will see this over and over and over again. That there are things that perhaps in an intellectual way, if you if you look at it and you want to really think about it, like to try and make sense of it, it doesn't make sense because it you know some of these decisions they're they're not coming from trying to make sense. Like you're following an inkling almost. Mm. Um, but I don't know if I missed it. What was it that had you? Was it again? Was it really just pure luck? Can you even remember what had you connect with Michael in the first place? That was luck because I, I saw a an NLP training, being run by Richard Bandler, and Paul McKenna, two people I was very familiar with about mm-hmm. their work, and then the third guy on the program for that seven days was Michael Neal, who I'd never heard of, albeit in fact. Um, subconsciously I had because he did a sitcom in Wales in the 90s a program I used to watch but oh, I just okay. couldn't remember it I couldn't remember <laughs> oh, you're the first, you're the first I person I found that's ever watched it <laughs> I've even got the box set DVD that I purchased <laughs> a couple of years ago thinking I've got to remember this because my mum would say oh yeah you watched that and I'm thinking did I and then I watched a few episodes and I can't really remember it but probably something subconsciously there was some kind of familiarity but it was that lucky it was that lucky and also then i think late in maybe 2008 2009 i was having a low um and i've had plenty of those in my life and i was listening to a a set of cds called effortless success that he'd released Mm -hmm. and i noticed by listening to them i was starting to feel better Uh, and in the hours train journey in and out of london from berkshire where i live I got a little bit curious about that and that's when I started emailing him and that's when I arranged to have the half day with him. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, let's get uh, kind of right to the point then really of, of, of this particular piece. What was then the impact of discovering um, what Sid described as the three principles, what Sid Banks described as the three principles? What was the impact of, of discovering that on you personally and the shape and what was going on in your business? Just a small question. Yeah. Well, the first part of that is everything's different. Literally, I was and have been a high-functioning, frequent depressive. Um, it's something that has now been called bipolar 2. And was then, when I was um, in the depths of my lows in my mid-30s, cyclo- something called cyclothymia which is not easy to pronounce and even harder to spell. But really it is someone who has some highs, not as much as the regular um, bipolar or manic depressive, but would have some highs, but certainly would have all of the lows. Mm. And while I do have some of the behavioral patterns in my past of the manicness, nothing like some of the stories I'd heard from other people I talked to, but it certainly would get the lows. And in that time, the only thing now that I know was happening for me was that I was really buying everything I was thinking in my head. I really thought it was true. Everything I thought, especially about me and my life, looked like fact to me. And even in looking like a fact, I really thought it was a fact. Which I know sounds like, well, of course, that's obvious, right? Well, but, but having said that, like, I, I think, just listening to you with just that piece, right? Yeah. I, I think, because it, clearly it's very common as people come across this understanding, is that we we see the role that, um, that our thoughts play in our experience. Mm. But until we've seen that, we don't even give consideration to whether those thoughts are true or not. No. I thought, literally, I had so much very tight thinking about me and I was a very insecure high performing person who would be great at working with other people and would be thoroughly miserable on the inside (laughs) and and frankly still have a really cool life that looked like it on the outside I was still doing an awful lot of traveling but doing a lot of international work since 2003 but inside I would I would have bouts of depression 
Mm. And even when I wasn't depressed, I didn't think that my lot in life was very good. What's changed now is that my life feels as cool on the inside as it looks on the outside. It really does. And that's an awesome thing because there's nothing really in its, in its nature of from the outside looking in that's really changed. The inside, though, feels completely different. It's a 180-degree shift from. To win, life felt like a curse, and I often thought that. Now I can't believe how lucky I am to have an experience of something we call life. Mm. And because of the impact of that on me, that must resonate with people. And there have been you know, lots of examples of other people when they wake up to the same truth of that, that their life looks completely different too. But I can only really talk about that because that's how I've seen it. That's the shift. And you know, there's a subtlety in here I'd love to just prod with you a mm. little bit about because clearly it's not life in itself that's changed well on on the outside of what we're calling the outside um so how you are creating or rather the experience you're creating of life is what's changed yeah and that's just happened like naturally through understanding that you are the one creating it or that i am the one experiencing mm what's being created yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my experience is pretty much up for grabs it doesn't mean it's true just because sometimes i think something uh insecure about me or my place in the world or or anything about me in my life it's just that that now seems a completely impersonal transient thought that's more to do with and what I make of that what seems like a personal transient thought is no longer a permanent meaning of who win is it just looks like something that just passes through mm. as opposed to anything that's meaningful or true so I could and I still do have the same thought about me and my life that will crop into my head but my relationship with that thought now is often completely different and even when it's not i know i'm just buying into a different myth right <laughs> a more compelling story um it's not fact it just looks like it is yeah. and if i'm in a low mood well i'm in a low mood i'm just sort of not quite yet seeing the truth of the story that i've innocently completely made up and there's something here, like, so uh, last year I had this, a wonderful conversation with Dick and Bediger. I've, men I've mentioned it a number of times on this podcast because it, it still keeps, you know, oozing out perhaps. But there's one thing I realized from that conversation was, I, I mean, I, I guess my focus had been, or rather my awareness had very much been on, like, the shittier side of stuff. Like, okay, so I would, I, I developed an awareness or awareness of, well, when life feels shitty... I'm creating that and remembering that just seemed to help and have that dissolve and, you know, not grip onto that and make that actually mean something real <clears throat> about me. What I, what I really got last year was, well, that applies just as much to the, well, life's a bitch and then you die idea to, Oh my God, life's a miracle. Both those ideas are still made of the same stuff. They are, but the fact that we are able to experience both of those very different things and to notice the fact of experiencing <laughs> makes both of them the miracle. Yeah. And both of them a joy to actually be able to witness. Yeah, I mean, this is what comes to mind right now is one way of saying the difference in my life over the last six years is that I get a glimpse of what it's like for matter to be animated in human form for a certain period of time 
have an awareness of the rest of matter and an awareness of other things that also have an awareness that really happens to be called Wynne Morgan, happens to be in this shape and form, that happens to be in this period of time in the universe's existence on this little blue green rock spinning around the sun and well that would have felt like a horrible idea to me not long ago <laughs> now it's just like are you kidding me i get to do that <laughs> what a miracle but it's just an everyday occurrence you know that's yeah. just kind of hilarious yes, really yeah. yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> and and then i'll get in the same day as i'll have that really realization of what's really going on i will get completely tongue-tied of what socks to wear or what shirt to wear <laughs> I or, what, to... or what brand of toothpaste to buy i i completely get into the minutiae of life and gonna go oh but what do they think if they wear the blue one or the green one or what about this new whitening toothpaste because my you know because i drink a lot of coffee what about my you know it's that that's the absurdity and the joy of a life of a human being is that we get caught up in that stuff as naturally as we would seeing the wonder of existence. So um, in your business then, what, what, what changed? What changed in your business from, um, from these discoveries? My business got a lot easier. That's one thing that happened, which isn't a mystery really. I think anyone who would spend a lot less time in their head and more time putting attention on their clients and, life out there unless life in here inside their own head well everything in life would become easier and business did and still does I mean, it's still evolving in that way um, impact seems to be easier to come by and it seems like a bigger impact whether it's a corporate client that has um, whether it's an individual or a, or a team or a group within an organization have made massive strides in, in results from their behavior, from changing what they think about something because they just see the truth in things as opposed to get tied up in their heads, or in the one-to-one -one work where people wake up to who they really are, their true nature, as opposed to the, the innocent myth that we sometimes create as a human being in our head and it's um, a really lovely thing to notice that degree of impact and degree of more people spending less time treading through treacle than more people with exactly the same day the same things on their plate putting shades on because it's so bright I'm wondering what specifically just looking back if there was anything specific that looked difficult but now that then became easier and you can make that more real for us I mean was it all really about the feeling or was that what if, if I was looking at Win Morgan business from the outside what might I see that was different? I don't know how much would look that different. Hmm. I, I guess I, I, I'm busier. I'm, people search me out more, so I get more word of mouth referrals than I would have done five years ago, that's for sure. And certainly ten years ago that would be true. There's a lot less seeking for me in all kinds of manner of things. What I think might also be different, if, if anyone had an eye on or were able to hear where the conversations with clients go to now, is that I would go behind the scenes of what makes a human more, more effective and have a more fun experience of life as opposed to the form of it. So as an example, um, the last two days I was in central London working with a team in an organization on presentation skills. And I would have classically viewed a few years ago, certainly five years ago, would have spent a lot of time talking about the techniques of body language, the techniques of 
voice, the techniques of the structure, which all make good sense as good ideas. But there's nothing that makes anybody's ability to deliver a presentation to a group of people better than seeing a presentation for what it is, which is talking to a group of people where we happen to be standing up and seeing that everything else that we make of that is a completely constructed, innocently constructed version of reality and that nerves and the apparent difference between me and the group of people and how senior the group of people are and how much I've got on it seems to just completely dissolve when we understand how all of that, how all of those feelings are created. We can get behind the scenes of nerves being completely natural and completely irrelevant and to the fact of seeing that I just happen to be talking to a group of people where I'm standing up. And that to me is what would be out of probably you know, 14 or 15 things that I'm more co most commonly asked to go into organizations to talk about, if in a training situation, it would be boiling it down to the truth of what that thing is, and then what gets in a human being's way, and then dispelling every myth about it. Yeah, yeah, love that. And on the one-to-one -one basis, on the coaching work, that's come far more simple too. And even helping other coaches, it's really seeing what the client has, what the client's up against, in their words. So let me think of an example. All right, so I had a couple with me over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday last week. And it was really mainly about him to begin with in the first conversation that we had back in the summer. But then in talking to both of them really informally over the coming, you know, over the last few months, oh, they would both benefit from having, you know, two and a half days of time away and each of them having some solo sessions and having some joint sessions. Well, seeing what, what he's up against as an example is, he's up against the idea that the more he achieves, the better life will be, and he's wrong. He's also up against the idea, or certainly was, up against the idea that the harder he worked, the better he'd be. He's wrong. She's up against the idea that there's maybe something in him that needs to be fixed. She's wrong. And also for her, up against, in, in her work with people, up against the thinking that she's being judged really harshly and she's wrong. So I like to get under the, you know, the really uh, behind the scenes of what's going on in their heads and then say, oh, okay, that's what they're up against. And there's yet to be anything when I've got sort of really under the skin and behind the scenes of that where it hasn't been something to do with the way that they've constructed how their life looks and how the world looks. And nothing in that that could ever be resolved by a clearer understanding about who we are as a human being, how human beings operate, and how feelings and thoughts actually come and go and the true nature of who we are. So I'm curious when you're working with people like that and you can see, you know, they've, they're, they're, they're looking at something in a way that's completely unhelpful to them. You use the terms quite strong in a way like, well, that's just wrong. That's, you know, mm. that's completely incorrect. Um, and yeah, that would seem, that would seem like that's, that's very clear. What is it like? Can you talk to this bit about helping people to see that? Because, you know, people can be, get very defensive, yeah. um, uh, of their own way of seeing seeing life you know i i've you know come across people and and 
suggested that why on earth would you hire me if you're going to hold on white knuckle tight to your existing way of seeing life you know why work with me if you're not open to seeing something different so what if you can talk to that how how how, how do you help people perhaps to open up to seeing something new well I, i'm glad you kind of called me on that because i don't think I would ever go in and say, well, in, the, in my opinion, you're seeing life like this and you're wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that that would be a wonderful way for most people to then get <laughs> if, defensive. If that was all we had to do, wouldn't it be? Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't have taken me all the time for me to catch on to anything in this kind of conversation. <laughs> and to me, I still I still think I'm, I'm going to hold the badge for being the, the slowest learner on this. I've yet to come across somebody who's convinced me that they were slower to learn anything about this understanding <laughs> than me, right? So um, to answer your question, though, it would be, well, things would occur to me of how to get them to be curious about how life looks and for them to see other examples, either in humans as a group of people, which often is really useful because then they're not thinking hard about themselves in their own life. If they can get curious about human beings and they happen to be one, that in itself just has a shift of perspective, which makes them less likely to get make things personal. When in fact, often the fact that they made things personal is the issue. So when they see the impersonal yeah. human nature of everything that we are up against and how we work the human operating system as opposed to the the win or fill version of seeing things then there's a chance for them to to open up slightly and that white knuckle that you described maybe loosens a little bit when we see that loosen a little bit ideas come to us about what else they may see in that conversation so i guess the the most universal way to answer that question is ideas will come to me. Um, but I need to be open to ideas coming to me. So if someone is white knuckle in front of me and that affects me and I white knuckle, I'm probably not going to be that good with them, not that effective. But if I can remain relaxed and watch them be white-knuckled, people sometimes get really curious about the fact, well, how come this guy's not being affected by me? How did this guy seem so darn neutral when I've got all of this stuff going on? <laughs> and I've yet to know anybody, really, over a period of time where someone is tight and the other person is really relaxed, where the tight one is the one that doesn't change. It's always the tight one that mm -hmm. relaxes a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's to me, that because that's that's their nature. All of us is their nature is to relax, and it's just being there at a time when they have relaxed, and then there's a chance for them to see something completely new, even even if it is only the fact that they're more relaxed than they were two minutes ago. Right, right, and even that then starts to open something right. up. Yeah, open something up. You know, that that old Leonard Cohen line: "There's a crack in everything." That's how the light gets in. Yeah, mm. and. You know, there's something you've mentioned in there, which I have to say, I'd not really looked at it so much from a client perspective, which is wonderful. I think I'm having my own little insight around this because I, I've talked a lot about, you know, as a coach, curiosity is probably one of the most amazing things that we've got going for us because, you know, you, you can't feel that you know everything and then be curious. Right. So the, the mere the mere fact that you are curious, you are coming from a place of not knowing and being yeah. open to see something new. So, of course, it makes complete and utter sense then for the most helpful space for perhaps the client to be is one of curiosity. So for yeah. them to then start to let go of what there is, they think they know and be open to see something new. So, yeah, cool. Thank you for that. Without that then becoming a technique. Because if someone heard what we, you, you and I have just said in the last five minutes, yeah. oh, right, so I'll go in being curious. My first objective is to get them to be curious, and then <laughs> I'm halfway there. I, I, look, there are times when that will work, and there are times when that won't. Right. Right. Well, because then we're not going to be as curious, because by definition we've got an idea <laughs> on it. 
we're going to get into a wonderful little paradox, aren't we? A real rabbit hole there. A real yeah. rabbit hole there. So, um, how can I ask this? I mean, you mentioned about traveling. You're one of these people that I see on Facebook and I look and I think, wow, it looks like he's doing some amazing stuff, working with some amazing people, hanging out with these lovely people as well. Um, as I said, you know, sort of slightly tongue in cheek, really, in, in my intro, just because we all kind of look at the perceived perhaps superficial nature of of that we can only we can only see that from a superficial place i think but um i wonder how does that look you've you've touched on it this miraculous and it certainly changed you're doing you said you were traveling before Mm. um it's a really open question actually it's like so what's going on with all that how is that coming about how i guess i am curious like well where are clients coming from that has you uh work in that way and how does that kind of life work out for you because that's not for everybody right i see that you well, do travel no. quite a lot and and because i like traveling therefore it seems like a good idea to me even without me consciously doing it that more of that would happen mm. that just seems to be how <laughs> things get created right oh i quite like this and all of a sudden things start opening up opportunities start becoming visible and things start to work like that without me having to do anything about it but one way of saying that would be is that the people that we spend time with and in the parts of the world we spend time with if we bump into people that's where we tend to then a few years later notice we're spending more time because we've spent time with people So I spent quite a bit of my time on the west coast of the U.S. And when I got to know a lot of people on the west coast of the U.S., I have more work on the west coast of the U.S. It's, you know, I happen to have a similar thing in the Midwest of of the U.S. too and in certain parts of Asia. And to me, that's just simply a function of if I have a conversation with someone on a plane going to Chicago and they live in Chicago, well, lo and behold, I've got some contacts of people I know in Chicago. Same thing for Los Angeles and San Francisco and Seattle and, um, and Indonesia and Singapore. And, and, and frankly, for a, for a while, for about six or seven years in, in Kiev and Ukraine as well, that became a kind of just a, an expansion because of, you know, you, you, you talk to people, you meet more people, people ask you what you do, and before you know it, you're having a conversation about how life works. And then there's um, there's more people then that, that have heard of you and then more people that contact you. And before you know it then, you're on a plane. <laughs> and you know, it sounds so simple and, and I get it as well. It's But it does sound simple. So I kind of ask you, if we flip that round, if, if, yeah. if somebody is listening to this and they are, uh, you can say the exact... Uh, pretty much the same thing but from a different perspective it's like if i want that kind of life how do i essentially keep that out like what am i not doing is it just simply well i'm not talking to people i'm sitting on a plane and i'm keeping myself to myself is it i mean is it really that simple possibly and i'm only saying possibly because i'd need to talk to that individual but i would i would say that might be a fair assumption um, that there would be an element of that. Um, I, I remember talking to a friend and a colleague of mine who who spent three hours in a bar alone without any other agenda other than having a really nice three hours in a bar alone and was given three business cards of people that was curious about how this guy would have such a great time in a bar alone <laughs> and thought, I want a piece of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I also think that he, if he was in a bar alone and was thoroughly miserable, none of that would have happened. Mm. Pretty sure of that. Um, people radiate towards and get curious towards when, when you know, when people are having fun. I mean, as you know, another example here: uh, the people who, you know live near me when i see them face to face they're in a couple of hotels nearby in those lobbies well i know quite a few of the staff and quite a few of those staff have had sessions with me 
it is is it's nothing more earth shattering than that. Um, it's a pretty cool way of uh, getting to know people, isn't it? Talking with them. I mean, that's a pretty effective and efficient way of just simply talking and, and chatting with people. And we are, to my mind, anyway, gregarious by nature, right? Mm. And there are times where I'm feeling less gregarious, right? I'll do I'll do grumpy as well as any <laughs> as anyone will do grumpy, right, on the face of the planet. But but when I'm not in that place of buying into that, then I'm going to be open and and I will you know smile, say hi to people, and before we know it, you know we're saying hi, and you know the third or fourth time I see them, they think, well, what are you coming here for all the time? What are you doing on this trip? And then that just naturally becomes a conversation. The one thing I would say is that while I train salespeople, I don't see anything that I do have anything to do with what people think selling is. Nothing. Or client creation or anything like that. It just seems to me like some conversations and when people want more conversations, then we'll talk about ways of making that work. Mm. There's nothing more to it than that. And anything that does look different from that tends to get, you know, us more up in our head and it just tends to make us more less open sorry less open to um the potential of how anything can be creative be created even and i often suggest you know when i work with um other coaches or other business owners that are uh, essentially service-based where they are serving other people I suggest that actually the business itself kind of gets created as a byproduct of connecting and having and building those relationships with people rather than thinking, right, I want to build a business. What do you actually want to do is build relationships with people. And yes, of course we need to give some attention and nurturing to the business aspect of things, but the business itself, it looks to me like it, it's kind of a byproduct of what it is we're actually doing. It It is, but it, and that in itself has its own, completely free-form way of working. I don't think that if you asked 10 coaches this, there would be six, at least six different answers about how their business is now structured and how it looks. And I had um, an evening out with two people who I've been uh, friends and, and coaches with since, well, I first met them on Supercoach in 2012. And we just were just sharing notes on our on our business now seven years later. And well, how it works is three completely different stories. So there are no rules. And it's nice to do that. The only thing I know that seems to be the biggest differentiator is do good work, good things come. We don't know how, we don't know where, we don't know when. That's just, I don't, I'm really not sure how much of that is up to us. And I'm being very... Um, low-key in how I say that. <laughs> I suspect it's not up to me at all, right? But Sometimes it feels like it is. <laughs> oh, yes. And what's, what's funny to notice as well, and I'm only starting to get a grasp of this now slightly, is the more it feels like it's anything to do with me or up to me. It's just an indicator, that feeling that I get with that is that that's an indicator of me being in my head as opposed to in truth or in life. Yeah, love that. It's, I think there's a line in a, a Course in Miracles that says something like, uh, fear is a sure sign that you're trusting in your own strength. <laughs> anyway, so I... I <laughs> that's one way it might show up. Yeah. 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 Although I'm pretty sure that I've trusted my strength and there's been no fear. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I've had fear and that's not been a part of it. I don't know. It's just yeah. it's just a good thing to realize that, that how we feel is not a reflection on the outside world. And I had nothing, there's nothing wrong with me for feeling anything. Mm. That's always a good one to kind of, for me to to pop into my head to remind me to snap out of whatever funk I'm in. <laughs> so I'm wondering for you when, um, I'm sure it hasn't been all a bed of roses, what, what are the things that you have found the most difficult in, in building the business that you, that, that you operate now? Like for you, what, what has been most challenging? Most challenging. There are some things that I know I have preferences for. 
I, I, I don't like doing my accounts. So if I'm not careful, I need to make sure that I've got somebody to do them for me and I need to be on top of the people doing on, on that for me. I don't think I've got much of an interest in marketing, so I don't have a mailing list. It doesn't seem to have you know, caused me any harm or any um, hardship of, of, or of being in demand or of having clients. But I think it would be a similar answer to where we were going in the previous um, point where I can make it about me. And I can be, again, completely innocent, innocently sucked in by thinking it really has got to do with me. And, and you know, when someone doesn't get it, in inverted commas, that's my fault. Or when somebody has a massive breakthrough that I'm to take the credit for it. I'm wrong in both. And I'm liable to think still sometimes that either of those things are actually true. Including my business. Um, and that doesn't mean the same as, right, well, I will just become... You know, laissez-faire, I just won't do stuff. I'll just stay in bed and business will come to me because that's just not how it works either. Mm. But having the psychological freedom um, to express myself in the way that will just happen is all that really is ever going on. And the more psychologically free I am, the more things tend to get created in their own way. And the more I am, you know, just a, you know, a, a, a byproduct of how things get created as opposed to the creator. Yeah. So the bed of roses thing, if I think that it's on me, that it's all on me, because there is some parts of this that clearly, if I don't reply to an email... Mm -hmm. That's on me, right? Even though there may be some of my own psychological um, nonsense that I'm buying into that I might not be the completely person in control of it. But if I see a choice, yeah. well, yeah. I'm not replying to this because I'm insecure, then, oh, there I go. I'll reply to it. So there are things that I need to do. There's work I need to do. There are skills that I will um, develop more. And there are things I will let go of. But I think that all the pitfalls are, you know, what comes to mind right now is I don't think I'd have changed anything in all the things I've got wrong because they've been the source of my biggest learnings, <laughs> including trying too hard. Yeah. And then to really then be called out on it and be really sucky as a coach in trying too hard. I now know what trying too hard feels like. And I know to, to kind of like when I'm on that path to not follow it because it's just like it's not going to get me anywhere other than you know wading through treacle as opposed to putting the shades on and you know and you you there's a point in there that i want to draw out as well like the the allowing it to be easy mm. is 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 not the same as doing bugger all right so that's a really good catch that's a nice summary yeah yeah so if you had a bunch of uh, coaches, aspiring coaches, perhaps in the first year or two of building a practice, if you had those in a room and you just had a 30-second, one-minute message for them, what might that be? There's a word that in the coaching that, that you and I do with people in what's called the three principles called grounding. And it's more about our understanding of how life really works for human beings and how our experience is created and who we really are, how the mind works. To me, there's nothing more impactful than getting more curious about that because that is the one thing that will always pay back dividends. Because the more we see about life, will shine in the way that we talk to other people about what they see or don't see about life. Yeah, 
Thank you. And, and then just finally, so for you, if you reflect, um, for you personally, what is the purpose of the work that you do? Hmm. It's not a question I've really pondered. Hmm. I'm too busy enjoying myself to think about purpose. But um, if I was to answer that question, it would be for for the people that I meet to be as free as I've become. No, I need to say that differently. To wake up to their potential of how free they really are and the truth about how life works. Because from seeing that, then, heavens, this uh, this existence is such a joyous thing. That miracle. Yeah. Thank, yeah, yeah, beautiful miracle. Thank you so much, Wynn. Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I'm so pleased and so appreciative of you um, taking the time out to talk today. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And, um, and thanks to everyone for listening to. There we have it. Wynne Morgan and his journey of discovery of the three principles and the impact of that understanding on his business and on his life. Like so many guests with this understanding, his journey has been one of taking steps that just made sense at the time, doing things that just felt natural without allowing any heady thoughts to get in the way, allowing it to be easy, allowing simplicity. And I have to say, talking with someone like Wynne, that beautiful grounding he describes as understanding how life and the human mind works, there's an, there's an ease that seems to rub off in his presence. Simplicity seems to show itself in so many ways. I loved his example of how giving a presentation is simply having a conversation with people while standing up and how everything else, any nerves and anxiety that may seem to come from that, is an innocently constructed reality. Once again, allowing simplicity. So what's your one thing you're going to take away from this conversation? Do you notice anywhere in your life, in your business or in your relationships, where you'd like things to be easier? Are you allowing it to be easy? Are you allowing simplicity? I'd love to hear from you and each month I'll be selecting someone from listeners that contact me to have a follow-up conversation that may be featured in a future episode of this podcast. And if you'd enjoyed this episode, please share it with your community and consider leaving a review on iTunes. That in and of itself will make a huge difference to helping other people benefit from these conversations too. Okay, that's all for me for now. Thank you once again for listening. I wish you much love and joy. <laughs>